Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss practical ways to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we begin a sermon series in Galatians in a sermon titled, What Do You Need?, Pastor Stephen looks at what happens when we start to add requirements to the gospel. We'll also discuss the difference between Jesus as rescuer versus resource. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, do you know what uh, today is? Uh, I don't. What's today? Today is our 50th podcast. Hey, look at that. That's amazing. That is pretty amazing. We've I had didn't know that. 50 sessions where we've gone through and asked questions of both you and Bob, and and really, I think, have helped um, answer key questions that, that uh, at least I've had. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's the yeah. goal, right? Right, right. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's dig into this right now. So we're starting a new sermon series in Galatians. Uh, why did you pick this letter? Um, so... You know, life for everybody has changed uh, just drastically in the last mm-hmm. couple of months, even. Um, so much of what is our normal now seemed impossible or unthinkable, you know, just a couple months ago. And one of the things uh, that I think is universal for each of us is that we are being told how we should live, how we should respond to the virus, how to respond to injustice and the protests and demonstrations mm-hmm. uh, by all kinds of different people, by Uh, TV personalities, by pundits, by authors, bloggers, social media, everybody has an opinion about how we should live our lives. Everybody knows exactly how I should live. Mm -hmm. Um, And if that doesn't make you uh, weary and tired and lead you to just tune everybody out, uh, it will lead you to fatigue and disengage, right? Like that's how we respond. And um, it also makes you ask the question, who's right? Like who should I listen to how should I really live? Um, and that is the issue that Paul is dealing with and communicating to the Galatians about. His letter is basically an answer to the question, how should I live? Um, they're not mm-hmm. asking that question. They think they've found the answer to it, but he's saying, no, 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 this is how you should live um, in the times that they're in that mm-hmm. seem to me to be similar to the times that we're in. So what were the the false teachers preaching in Galatia, and why was it so problematic? Yeah, so that's the the whole thrust behind, the the history behind um, the letter, is that Paul had come into Galatia, which is, you know, modern-day Turkey, and he had uh, proclaimed the gospel, he had planted churches, he trained leaders, and then he Mm -hmm. would move on to the next town and do the same thing there. Um, and you can read about his first missionary journey in the book of Acts. I think it's like 12 or 13-ish to right about 15. Um, he, he, had, he had done this through all the different towns, and then he had moved on. And uh, soon after, we're not sure exactly how soon, um, but the words that he uses at the beginning uh, seem to be, it is pretty quickly after he's left. Um, these other teachers come in, and they start uh, proclaiming a different... Uh, teaching, right? Sounds something similar, they think. They use that to their advantage, uh, but it, it's not. And so one of the things that 
Paul is doing is he's not writing to one specific church, right? It's not like the, this is to the church at the corner of Main and Broad Street in uh, Antioch Sidon, which is mm-hmm. one of the cities. But like this is a letter that probably would be read by one church out loud to the community, copied down, and then passed on to the next church, so that um, some scholars think this is a circular letter. That was, this was Paul's intention for it to go to all the churches in the region. Um, and it's because these teachers were coming around and going to all these different towns and proclaiming this false message, right? And mm-hmm. we don't have any record of exactly what they said, um, which is important, right? If somebody had written it down and it had continued on throughout history, <coughs> excuse me, that would be valuable, right? That would mean that there was something valuable in their message. Mm-hmm. But they don't, right? And, that, and there's a good reason that we don't have their exact teaching. Um, Dr. Charles Hill, who's a New Testament scholar, talks about uh, the reliability of the Gospels and the New Testament letters. Um, and there's two reasons that he really points to. One of them is their proliferation, meaning virtually the exact same accounts of these Gospels and these letters can be found uh, from around the same time period across all of the ancient Near East. Like, spanning hundreds and hundreds of miles, we find fragments of the same exact letters. That's because they were accepted as true, right? Hmm. Uh, And then B, the longevity of the gospel accounts in the New Testament letters. They have been accepted as authentic throughout history all the way back to the the time of Paul. And Hmm. what that tells us is, in Paul's time, 20, when as he's writing Galatians, this is about 20 years, maybe, after Jesus's resurrection— there are so many people who were firsthand witnesses of Jesus's life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, which means if something uh, contrary to actual history was being taught, there would be so many people that were able to refute it and say, no, I I was there. That didn't happen. Why are you saying this? And so the fact that we don't have the exact teaching of these false teachers tells us that the early church, right, in Paul's time, the leaders, the Christians, those who were there and saw Jesus die and resurrect from the dead were saying, "We, this is not true. We mm-hmm. cannot believe this because we know Jesus. We saw him. And so their message didn't withstand the test of time, whereas the Gospels and the New Testament letters did because they lined up with what Jesus himself had taught. And so that's a whole different aside, right? Like, I, I got off on a tangent. Sorry about that. I, no, no, I think and, it's interesting. Maybe, no, maybe other people don't. No, um, totally what, important, right? Yeah. Well, so what were they teaching? To put it simply, um, you know, maybe too simply, these teachers came around and they taught that following Jesus also required adherence to the law of Moses, right? The regulations that God delivered to Moses on Sinai, those uh, behaviors and patterns were given to Israel to set them apart from the other nations, right? They were making Israel God's distinct people. Um, and that doesn't seem necessarily like a big issue on the surface, uh, but what we have to remember is that uh, in Galatia, we're hundreds of miles, if not thousands of miles, from Jerusalem, right? The the place where uh, Israel came and settled, it was the seat of their power. So these people in the Galatian churches probably fall into one of two categories. They're either uh, Jews who were descendants of the nation of Israel that had been exiled to Assyria and Babylon uh, generations before and had never gone back, right? They probably weren't adhering very closely to these 
Jewish laws, the laws of Moses where they were living, um, or they, if they weren't th- of that descendant lineage, descendant, they were not Jewish at all. Their ethnicity lay elsewhere. So uh, they were Gentiles, as the Jews referred to them, mm-hmm. which means that the message of these uh, false teachers probably went something like this. And I, I think I summarized this in my sermon as well. You've been saved by Jesus. That's great. You believe that he died and he rose again. And Paul's told you that God is building this one family and you're now a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Paul didn't tell you everything because God's family has always been from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means that you have to become part of that family. You have to separate yourself from all the other families out there. And the way that you do that is by following the laws of our people. Mm-hmm. It means you can't eat unclean meat, males have to be circumcised, there's some holidays and holy days you have to observe, things like that. Um, and, and that's problematic for two reasons, right? This is what we see Paul refute in Galatians. The first is that they are saying, whether they're intending to say this or not, having faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus as the payment for your sins isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You also need to follow the law, right? Those two things go hand in hand is what they would say. Right. You can't have one without the other. And that's not true. That's not the gospel, right? And so many people summarize Galatians by saying Paul's whole message is Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Hmm. So that's the first, first problem. The second thing that we see Paul go after is that they're saying you are only acceptable to God if you're Jewish, which is ardently false, right? We don't see that right. anywhere in Scripture. In fact, we see the opposite. Jesus doesn't welcome only Jews or only Gentiles. He welcomes anyone who comes to him from anywhere. And so demanding that people adhere to one particular ethnic, uh, cultural, even if it's delivered by God uh, lifestyle, goes against everything that Jesus taught and did and lived for. And so Mm -hmm. Paul goes after both of those failures in their message here in this letter. So so Paul opens his epistle with, I think, an interesting description of the age. He says, this is the the present evil age. And I I thought that was interesting. Um, What made it so evil, and was it any more so than today? Sure. Good question. Um, Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't any more evil than it is today, even though you might think it is based on what you see happening in the world around you. Uh, we got to remember that Paul is thoroughly Jewish. Yes, he's a mm-hmm. believer in Jesus. He, was, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he was Jewish. And first century Jewish scholarship divided time, right, the, the whole of time, up into two different eras, right? The age, the present age, and the age to come. Right, And the present age wasn't just the day that they were living in and like the age to come starts tomorrow kind of thing, or, or not even just like a century. It was all of the time before Yahweh would send his Messiah and restore shalom uh, in creation, right? The, the peace, the perfect harmony that existed in creation prior to the fall, right? The Jews believed that that's what the Messiah would do. Um, and anything that happened between what's happening today and that moment, that shalom, right, like recreation happened, uh, was called the, the present age. Mm-hmm. And then everything after that was the age to come. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus's life, death, and resurrection is the only way that we can be guaranteed 
to make it from this present age and into the age to come with God in his perfect, rebuilt, reshalomed creation. Mm -hmm. But he's also making a really clear distinction here between the message of the false teachers and the true gospel, right? The false teachers were saying, yes, what Jesus has done for you, forgiving your sins, securing your spot in the age to come, that's for the future, right? But you must supplement that now in this age with your Mm -hmm. adherence to the Jewish laws. And, And Paul is saying, no, Jesus's rescue is for the future, but it's also for the present. Like, we need to be rescued from the now. It's mm-hmm. evil now. Um, and, and I think there's some really good application for us to see that following Jesus isn't just about going to heaven. It's about a, an impact in who you are today. Uh, John mm. Gerstner is a professor at Pittsburgh, was a professor at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, and he has this famous quote that I think fits with this line of thinking very well. He said, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. And mm. I, that's exactly what Paul is getting at. What he's trying to say is, there is nothing that you can do now to make your life better that helps you uh, supplement or... Uh, like keep, maintain your future status in heaven, right? So um, that's what the present evil age comment is getting at, thinking that your work in any capacity adds to what Jesus has done for you, misses the whole point of the gospel. Well, let's put a finer point on that, since the whole summary of Galatians can be Jesus and nothing else. What, what, just for the sake of clarity for people listening, what is the gospel that Paul is calling the Galatians back to. Yes, great. This is at the very beginning of the letter, and it's very important for us to see the way that Paul puts it, because he draws on this uh, particular wording of the gospel over and over again. So verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To unpack that just briefly, Paul says, God decided that the only way for us to be rescued from the evil that we see around us and the evil inside of us, our own sin, would be for Jesus Christ to give himself as a sacrifice, to die in our place, rescuing us from our sin and this world, and making our relationship with God right and secure now and forever once he returns to remake all things. Hmm. So that's, that's important we get that clear. Um, and then you, you had a, a good phrase. You said um, that the teachers at that time were adding insightful additions. So I was wondering, like, what insightful additions do people add to the gospel today, and how does that hinder the spread of the gospel? Yeah, um, we do. And in such subtle and seemingly un, uh, seemingly like beneficial thing, like this is the hard way, to, the hard thing to talk about, because it is hard to describe uh, in a way that makes it sound like these additions are negative, but they mm-hmm. are like that, and that's part of what Paul is trying to help the Galatians see is that on the surface this doesn't look bad. 
choosing to obey the rules, choosing to not eat unclean meat, choosing to follow the the high holy days of Judaism, that isn't bad. It's not causing the people to to go out and loot or murder or or you know completely overthrow society. It's none of that. It's good behavior, mm. but it tricks us into thinking that we're we're doing something to help with our progression in following Jesus, right? So one of the ways that I think we can describe this is uh, by generally saying religion, right? Any kind of behavior pattern or, um, you know, thought or action or inaction that we think Christians should do, right? Anytime we Mm. say that Christians should live like this, we're walking ourselves into adding to the gospel, right? I, I think about the way um, you know, that I grew up, and it was in an, in a church, a, a PCA church even, that had a, a sense, whether it was explicitly stated or not, that you should now behave because you're a Christian. You should mm-hmm. not see these kinds of movies. You should not drink these alcoholic beverages. You should not smoke. You should not hang out with people like this because they're a bad influence on you. And and it it's not like they were encouraging us to do bad things or they were encouraging us to do anything at all. It was just this religious understanding that a follower of Jesus lives this pious life. Mm-hmm. You know, we I, one of the things I said in the sermon is we can all think about these incredibly conservative churches that require their people to dress in specific ways and, and disconnect from society and all these kinds of things, and it seems like that is... The, the, the perfect analogy, or not analogy, the perfect example, um, but there's also the other side, subtle things that we think Christians shouldn't bother other people, right, with their religion. Christians mm. shouldn't be talking to other non-Christians about their behavior, right? Like, be, be silent. Don't be critical of other people. Keep your morals to yourself. Um, and a, a good Christian doesn't bog down a non-Christian with living a certain way. Hmm. That's adding to the gospel, right? right. Um, also, we could say in, in the, the world that we live in today, right, devotion to a particular church or a particular pastor or a denomination, like saying, if you really are a Christian in this town, you go to that church. The other churches are, are okay, but, you know, they're just not actually, like, following Jesus. Hmm. So you have to go to this church if you're a Christian, it, there's so many things that we add to the gospel. There's so many things that we have created a persona of Christianity that non-Christians in our culture look at and go, I want nothing to do with that. Right, if that's what right. it means to be a Christian, I don't I don't want that in my life at all. And it's not true. Those are all, quote-unquote, insightful additions that easily lead us away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You made a good distinction in the sermon, I thought, between Jesus as rescuer versus resource. And my sense would be is that people who don't follow Jesus here or elsewhere, maybe if they considered Christianity, they would think, well, it might be a good resource for me. Maybe Jesus would help me be better at my job or be better at this, but much more as a resource than a rescuer. So what's the difference between those two? And what is, what is Jesus rescuing us from? Yes, uh, good, good two questions there. The, um, let me start with this, uh, illust- this story. There's a, I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember learning about it. There's a, 
a conversation between the reformer Martin Luther and his contemporary reformer Philip Melanchthon, um, and they're talking about the nature of grace, like how does God work in our lives in order to call us to himself? Mm-hmm. And Melanchthon's analogy was uh, two parents helping their infant toddler walk for the first time across the room, right? So imagine a father standing on one side of the room and the mom kind of walking behind the, the toddler as the toddler like tries to take its first steps towards its father. The mom is always there, hmm. uh, not necessarily always touching, not pushing, but preventing the baby from falling, preventing them from turning back and going the other direction, walking with it all the way to the father. Martin Luther was adamant, and he said, no, we are caterpillars ringed by fire. Our only hope is if Mm. someone from above rescues us. Now, again, I don't know if that story is made up or not, but those are two analogies that seem to be incredibly similar, but are actually very different, right? And that Melanchthon's analogy is how we look at Jesus so often. I've got most of this life on my own. I'm pretty strong. I've, I've figured things out. I'm, I'm, I've advanced in my career. I've advanced in my field. Like I've, I've, We've got the kids on a good schedule, whatever it might be. I've got mm-hmm. this down. I may wobble a little bit. I may trip. I may stumble. I, I may not have the ability to start on my own, but God's grace guides me, right? Kind of helps me you know, start along the way, catches me if I fall until I make it to my father on the other side. But think about this. When that situation happens and the toddler does make it to the other side, what do we say? You've done a good job. Right. Right. So the the impetus, the work is still on the toddler. So that's not how we see in the gospel at all, right? We see a hopeless person, me, ringed by fire, which is my sin, which is the the corruption and destruction of the world around me, and the only hope that I have is if God rescues me from above. And and Luther's point, which is Paul's point, which is the whole of Scripture, is this. We do nothing. Mm -hmm. God does everything, right? From opening our eyes to our own sin, showing us our need for rescue, to actually bringing us to a place where we repent and believe Jesus dies for us, the sacrifice is applied to us, his righteousness is applied to us, God preserves us all the way. This is why Paul ends uh, that, that little gospel point with this. He says, according to the will of God our Father, verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Hmm. God gets all the glory. He's the only one that gets glory because he's the only one who has done anything. He has yeah, rescued amen. us. And, and you ask, what has he rescued us from? I mean, the, hmm. the simplest answer, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We all were given the freedom to follow God and his rules and maintain a a good, obedient relationship with him. And Adam, who was our uh, federal representative, chose not to. And he Mm -hmm. chose, as we all would have chosen, to disobey, to ignore God's word. And even though some people might say, "Ah, I wasn't there, I didn't get the opportunity to have my voice heard, I would have chosen something different, look at your life. You haven't chosen something different. You have chosen to ignore God's word, to disobey, and the punishment for that is death. Hmm. God himself rescues us from that death. Whether that's physical death now by guaranteeing us a life everlasting, or from spiritual death, being disconnected from God forever by guaranteeing Hmm. us a spot at the family table with him in his presence forever, 
God rescues us both, in both ways. And that's the rescue that Paul is pointing the Galatians to. That's the rescue that we need to see, rather than just assuming Jesus kind of helps out a little bit until we get to the end. And I would think that 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 idea would be so foreign to many, many people. Uh, So the question is, like, how do we talk about a Savior to people who don't realize they need to be saved? Yeah, Um, and I think most of us don't live daily thinking that we need to be saved. I think most of us, whether we would call ourselves Christians or not, can acknowledge that He's helpful, right? His teaching is wise, Maybe adding Christian moral, the Christian moral structure to our lives would benefit in some way for our family or something like that. But need is such a strong word. And so without giving away this week's sermon, one of the things that is very easy for us to do to help open our own eyes and the eyes of people around us to our actual need is by talking about how God has given us grace in our life. So everybody's story, right? Everyone who is a follower of Jesus has a similar story. You get to a place where you recognize your need, you come to God with that need, and you see that He has met that need, right? Now, maybe for for you, you think, oh, my story's not that, uh, you know, exciting. There's no kind of great aha moment. I wasn't at the, the lowest of the lows when I decided to follow Jesus. That's okay, you have the opportunity, the option to express vulnerability in some way, to talk about the way that you need things now, because we all have needs now that everybody can understand and agree with and, and, and you know, see in their own lives. Hmm. Um, and if, if that's a little you know, uncomfortable for you, you're sacrificing your own status, your own time, whatever it might be, for someone else without expecting to be repaid communicates, I see a need that you have, and I can meet that need. So whether you ever use the word need or not, you've already brought need into the conversation. So mm-hmm. there's all these ways that we can talk about needing to be saved or, or engage in meeting the needs of others that lead us to point out the need in people's lives. And then there's an easy gap to point out someone's need for Jesus. And that's really uncomfortable, especially here in Silicon Valley. Like, don't point out need. Right. right, only applaud success, only applaud strength. Let's all try and work together to build everybody up, kind of thing. And the problem is, everybody knows that they've got needs. Everybody knows mm-hmm. that there's something that they're missing, and so it's not as big a deal to to point that out and say, "I know you feel like this," or like the way that I just helped you with your time. Like you need something greater than me just helping you fix your fence or give you a ride or whatever. Mm-hmm. You need Jesus, and that's a bold thing to do. But God gives you the strength. He gives you the relational capital with whoever you're talking to, to know they're not just going to leave me. They're not just going to abandon me. And even if they do, I know this is right. And I want them to know Jesus and be rescued as I've been rescued. Okay, so let's say someone does recognize their need for a Savior. What must they do to be saved? Real simple, right? The refrain of the gospel is repent and believe. You confess your sin, right? You admit, admit to God that you can do nothing to rescue yourself. You ask him to rescue you, and then you believe that Jesus died in your place, rose from the dead, and his death and resurrection not only pardon you from your sin, mm-hmm. but his righteousness is credited to you, right? Paul in Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Hmm. Salvation is repenting and believing and nothing else. Yeah. So that's that's the, the salvation part, and we, we, we don't want to add anything to, to the gospel. Uh, but the second part of your sermon, you said that being a Christian is more about belonging than behaving. And I had, I had thought about this, that shouldn't our Christian beliefs lead to certain behaviors and away from other behaviors? Uh, yes. So we got to be careful with this word shouldn't. Hmm. Um, and I think this is where uh, it's not just semantics, but it is an expression of the heart. Right? There is a difference between shouldn't Christian beliefs lead to behavior and doesn't behavior follow belief? Hmm. Right? We all too often assume uh, what these false teachers were saying, that believers must then live a certain life and be- belief plus obedience equals salvation. Right? That oversimplifies it, but that's what we walk into. <laughs> right? But what the gospel says is Christ alone equals salvation. And as he grows that belief in you, he will also change your behavior. Mm-hmm. Right? That looks different for different people. Not everybody changes the same way. For some people, it starts with even just feeling guilty about a sin that you've never thought twice about. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes uh, it's a, a long, lifelong roller coaster of a battle where you have. You victory over pride or lust, and then you fall back into it, and then you defeat it for a season, and then you Mm. fall back into it, right? Like picking out one behavior and saying, this shouldn't be in your life because you believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if you say, shouldn't Christian beliefs lead to behaviors and and away from other behaviors, it becomes the marker of the belief, right? Mm -hmm. We see someone who's, uh, you know, cheating on their taxes— And we say, well, you can't be a Christian if you cheat on your taxes. Mm -hmm. Should Christians cheat on their taxes? Absolutely not. No one should cheat on their taxes. But that's not a marker of salvation. And that's where the problem lies. Once we say you should do these things together, once we connect them so closely, we remove the role of God changing us and changing our behavior. Mm -hmm. And so... If you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, or you're not doing what you should be doing, you begin to question your belief. Oh man, I got totally plastered last night. I, I real Christians don't do that. I mm-hmm. I must just not believe, right? Or you put that on the, onto others. Same kind of thing. Oh, look at how they're behaving. Look at what they're doing. Look at the stuff that they're involved in. They can't be a Christian, mm-hmm. and that is that is not what the gospel says at all. Believing in Jesus means that you're united to Him through the Holy Spirit. And he is in the process of changing you. Sometimes that looks like you choosing not to do the things you've done before, you choosing to engage in good behaviors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it looks like you being broken of those good behavior of those bad behaviors by going all in until you have nothing left. And then God says, I'm still here. Let's walk in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wondering if if that's the reason why Paul was so passionate in this letter, in fact, it seems like from his language that that he's pretty pretty emotional. Is this was this characteristic of his other letters? Uh, not this level of emotion, that's for sure. Uh, but Paul is a is a pretty emotional guy. I mean, we see him respond 
to people and to uh, situations pretty emotionally. But the emotion that he gets into here is the hallmark of Galatians, right? He is all hopped up. He is mad. Um, you know, in all the other letters that he writes, he has this greeting, the same kind of benediction, grace, peace, you know, God does this in you, and I'm so happy. But then he, like, pours out his thanks for that. Like, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. That's the beginning of Philippians, right? Even in mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians, where the letter is confronting some pretty wild sexual sin, and mm-hmm. these you know, the infighting in the church that's causing this conflict to the point where the church might divide and break apart, he starts by spending this whole, ch- the first chapter praising God and and giving thanks for them and how grateful he is that they're continuing and pursuing Jesus, things like this. But here in Galatians, he doesn't start with that at all. Like the Greek, the first three words in Greek are Paul, apostle, not. Like he mm. is very unhappy. Um, yeah, and yeah. he doesn't thank God or praise, you know, God for them or anything like that. And then he remi- he reminds them of the gospel. He gets that little benediction in there, as he always does, verses <laughs> three to five, as we looked at before. And then he jumps right into, I am appalled. Right. I am shocked that you are deserting Jesus, right? Even to use that language, you're deserting Jesus. You're abandoning Jesus, whatever your translation might have there. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, he's saying, you've walked away already. Already you've walked away. And I was just there a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Who knows how close it was? But he is not happy. He's very emotional because he knows how dangerous it is to walk with these insightful additions attached to the gospel. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the great things about our church is that every week uh, we preach the gospel in the sermons that are preached, through the liturgy that we have. We want to make sure that we are not adding anything to what what Christ has has done for us. Absolutely, um, and I and I, I think that's again one of the hallmarks of our church, which we all can be thankful for. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thanks for your time th- this morning. Looking forward to the rest of the sermons in this uh, the series. Uh, yeah, the thanks, title man. of the sermon is "What You Need" or "What Do You Need." It's the first sermon in a new series in Galatians. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. Right now, we're still streaming our main worship services on Facebook and YouTube at 9 a.m. on Sundays, but we are holding a couple of in-person communion services during the week in accordance with county guidelines. If you'd like to participate in one of those services, be on the lookout for an email from one of our pastors with dates and times to sign up. Grace's pastors, elders, and leaders are on duty, so let us know how we can care for you. We'll be back next week for another episode of the GSB Podcast, so stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.